Wake up, it's Sleep Unplugged with Dr. Chris Winter. This is episode 17, The Truth About Napping. Welcome everyone, it's great to have you. It's been a wonderful week. Been looking forward to this episode for a long time. We've really been covering some pretty popular topics within sleep lately. Uh, we knocked out sleep paralysis, which might be the most uh, common question about a parasomnia or an unusual thing that happens during the night. Our first Monday of every month deals with insomnia and our last episode for insomnia First, first Monday was on waking up during the night, which is a great episode. The restless leg episode still surprises me. So from my end, one of the really cool things about this show is I get to see what topics really resonate with listeners and which ones are like, ah, you know, no big deal. And the restless leg episode was a big one. So I'm really excited to shine some light on that community uh, for sure. And if you're anybody who follows Major League Baseball right now, the episode we did on sleep and athletic performance, that was episode number 12, uh, might be particularly germane right now. Um, as, as of right now, uh, I think that I'm guaranteed that one of the teams that I work with will go to the World Series. So congratulations to the Padres and to the Phillies, who will both uh, fight for the, to represent the National League and the Guardians from Cleveland came from behind uh, last night to beat the Yankees and are one game away from going to the American League uh, championships themselves. So congratulations to those teams. So napping is the topic for today before we dive into it. Uh, my social medias, if you want to communicate with the show, post a criticism, uh, uh, question, drchriswinner at Twitter, drchriswinner Instagram, drchriswinner TikTok, my books, Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help are available everywhere where books are sold. So if you're new to the show, uh, one of the new to the sleepyhead family here, we like to start the show off with first corrections, criticisms, comments, uh, no corrections from previous episodes, but always open uh, to those as well. So if you feel like uh, you've listened to an episode and think something was wrong or outdated, or there's some cool color you can add to it, just feel free to DM me on my social medias. Uh, comments for the show, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take, take one uh, from uh, Janine. Janine writes from Newfoundland. I really appreciate the time that you took to, to write. She said, I just wanted to let you know how helpful you've been. I'm a retired public health nurse in Canada, struggled with sleep for 18 years, off and on. Finally, a new GP recommended a, I'm not going to name it, but it's an online sort of insomnia CBT program uh, that she followed with moderate success, but then um, felt like it may have been giving her some anxiety herself. Somebody in her group recommended uh, books and podcasts that we do. And she said that uh, you took away all the anxiety that I was feeling. You added a touch of humor to a pretty stressful subject. Honestly, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I'm enjoying your podcast and encouraging other women I know struggle with sleep and need uh, to listen. So thank you, Janine. And, and last week when we were talking about sleep paralysis, I mentioned that there is a legend in Newfoundland 
that if the witch rides you at night and if you can steal its left toe, it will leave you alone or maybe give you some treasure. So uh, Janine was not able to comment on that, but she was going to look into it. No, it, it. Yeah, if you recite the Lord's Prayer backwards, that was no, that the Newfoundland was you recite the Lord's Prayer backwards, I believe. Sorry about that. I think I'm missing, mixing that up with Sicily which was the toe stealing uh, culture. So anyway, sleep paralysis is a lot of fun. So thank you, Janine. Those things mean the world to us. We really want this to be a podcast of value and something that's fun and feels kind of intimate, like a little family. Uh, speaking of podcasts, I got another uh, uh, question from Tim. Uh, Tim in Bakersfield writes, Basically, the, the question Tim said is, you're promoting a podcast called Chasing Sleep, but this podcast is Sleep Unplugged. What, what's, what's the deal? Do you have two different podcasts? Uh, not really. So Chasing Sleep is a podcast that I'm doing in conjunction with Mattress Firm and Sleep.com. And when I say I'm doing, loosely doing. So I've been involved in a few of the episodes but this is not something that I created. This is a highly produced show that's looking at sort of unusual stories about sleep uh, and getting sort of into them. So they have actual producers and actual theme music. And so I've been, I was, I was interviewed for one about gaming culture, which has not been released yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing it because it was really interesting for me to do. There's a great episode out there about Diane Macedo, who's an ABC correspondent. She's got a fantastic book called The Sleep Fix. And she wrote about her own trials and, and tribulations about um, being a, a you know a big time news correspondent and struggling with her sleep. And so they did an episode about that. So that is Chasing Sleep. You can find it again where podcasts are 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 promoted and, and put out there. Uh, if you want to compare it, like we can use the airplane analogy that that's, you know, chasing sleep, highly produced, money behind it, produced by art radio. It's when you get on the airplane, do you know those seats that are like mini little uh, pods that the seats recline fully and they're bringing you food with saffron and champagne and you've got your own little private pod on your flight to uh, Venice, that's chasing sleep. You're listening now to Sleep Unplugged. This is my own production, uh, my own brainchild. It is heavily stripped down. It is the airline ticket where you don't get to choose your seat. It's the airline ticket where you board with group number nine and may or may not get your carry-on on the plane. You might have to gate check it. So it's going to get you where you need to go um, and, and offer great value, but this is not something that is is heavily produced but again it's my own i'm in complete creative control here good or bad and i'm really excited about i'm excited about both but really excited to be here with you on sleep and plug and really appreciate the comments that people give even the little tips somebody said last week that you need to fire up the enthusiasm a little bit so we we started off the show with our wake up and sleep unplugged uh, referencing breakfast club so here we are so let's get into napping. Napping to me is fascinating. And it's something that everybody wants to know about from parents to adults, to baseball players, to 
senior citizens, everybody has questions about napping and you can understand why, because the research on napping is literally all over the place. When you, when you dive into napping research and read about studies, you can come away with it thinking napping might be the worst thing for your health, particularly if you're an older individual, because often study after study links napping behavior to worse health outcomes, particularly cardiovascular outcomes. So when you look at that, you think, wow, spending too much time napping or sleeping could be problematic. And a lot of those studies often link napping that is excessive, that is daily, and that is happening at the end of the day to worse health outcomes versus sporadic napping, scheduled napping, shorter napping, and earlier napping often seems to be linked to better health outcomes. So I want to pull away a little bit from the research on napping and just talk a little bit about schedule, which I think is extremely important. So when somebody says, Chris, what are your thoughts about napping, good or bad? That's a very difficult question to answer because it requires a tremendous amount of context. And the first piece of context that I want to give relates to schedule. So where I find napping can often be extremely problematic is in a population where the schedule is fluid or flexible. Uh, and this is very common in our post-COVID world. We tend to work more at home. We have more flexible hours. We work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in office, but now Monday and Friday, we're working from home. Some people have worked from home throughout the entire situation. And that ability to close your laptop and take a nap or wake up a little bit earlier or later in the day and work, or that, that flexibility can be great if you're raising a family, want to get to your kid's soccer game, want to kind of fit your work into places where it naturally sits in your life, that's great. Where it becomes a problem is when we start to have hiccups in our sleep and the napping or the sleeping in or during the day starts to facilitate the problem rather than sort of put an end to it. And what I mean by it, that is this, I often joke that one of the worst things for your sleep is retirement. And, and what I mean by that is this, when we have a nine to five job and a couple of kids, those things create a tremendous amount of structure to our lives. You have a difficult night sleeping. You stay up late watching a television show. You're trying to get some work done. So you're working a little bit later into the night. That's not changing when your kids have to get up, get dressed, get ready for school, and you have to be in your office to start the day or you're a school teacher. Whatever happens during the night is going to happen. You still have to be in that homeroom when your kids arrive. So that creates a very strong sort of anchoring effect to your sleep. 
and your brain starts to understand, ooh, when I make bad decisions at night, I tend to pay for them because there is no flexibility to the schedule. I've mentioned a couple of times on this show that I've got a family member in one of the service academies, and he made a joke very clearly one day that there is no insomnia around here because we we don't have the capacity to really go to bed much before midnight, and we're always up early. That is the culture in this place versus my collegiate experience, which was how can I make sure I never have a class before noon and I would never have dreamt about getting up at the crack of dawn on a weekend? That sounds silly to me. So all these things sort of sum up to create schedule. And we've talked about circadian rhythms uh, before on the show, episode 14, that our bodies love a schedule, not just our sleep, everything our bodies do are dependent upon a schedule. We do nothing accidentally, right? So having that time of day start off every time at the same time is very important. So how does napping fit into this? Well, let's imagine an individual having a difficult night of sleep. That difficult night, you wake up, you go to your classroom, you teach your fifth grade class, and now you get home at four o'clock in the afternoon, if you're lucky. I don't know many school teachers get home at four o'clock in the afternoon, it's usually a lot later than that, because they are, this, they, they are, they are heroes in this, in this world. But imagine the school teacher gets up at four o'clock and has the capacity to take a nap. If he does, it might seem logical. I had a bad night of sleep. I had trouble falling asleep. So now I'm going to take a two hour nap a little bit later in the day because I'm so tired from the inadequate sleep I got the night before. And so that happens. He lies down at four. He wants to get up at five o'clock and grade some papers, but nobody wakes him up and he doesn't hear his alarm and he sleeps until 6.30. Wakes up groggy, gets a little something to eat, grades some papers, but says, I forget about it. I'm just going to you know, go to bed. And when he goes to bed, he can't fall asleep because his body just took a two and a half hour nap at four o'clock. So now that sort of sets the stage potentially for another difficult night and another day when he gets home where he might want to take a nap or a weekend where he might sleep in until noon to quote unquote, make up for lost sleep. So when people ask me, what are your thoughts about napping? I think napping works well when it's a scheduled part of your day, like your exercise class, like your lunch with your peers, like sitting down and watching the evening news with your family and discussing current events, like whatever your thing is, it's a schedule. It's an appointment. It doesn't change day to day. And I think that we get into trouble with napping when napping becomes something other than that. It becomes potentially a response to a bad night. You know, bad nights tend to be somewhat self-limited in a structured, scheduled population. And this really gets into the concepts we've talked about before. What is the difference between an individual who has three sleepless nights during a month and an individual with insomnia? I would say that the individual who's had three sleepless nights during the month is experiencing what a normal individual experiences, periods of difficulty sleeping. Sometimes you're really hungry for dinner, Sometimes you are not. There is a variance there. 
that is completely within normal limits. I think sleep sort of the same way. I think the individual who has a couple difficult nights during a month becomes someone with insomnia when it becomes A, interpreted differently, and B, there become aberrant mechanisms to deal with it. I had a bad night, therefore I get a free three-hour nap pass that I get to play whenever I want to versus the other individual who says, no, I had a bad night. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going to push through this afternoon where I feel like I want to take a nap, go to the gym, do the best I can, and I'm going to sleep much better tonight. It's it's sort of, yep, I had a little bit of a deviation from the plan, but that's not going to change the plan. And we're going to have an episode on daylight saving time coming up soon obviously. And daylight saving time is a great example of how a little hiccup in a schedule, if it's not dealt with appropriately, can be a massive problem with somebody's sleep six months, years down the line. Hey, I'm Chris, how can I help you with your sleep? Well, I've been having difficulty sleeping for the last three years. Or really what happened? Well, it all started with daylight saving time 2019. <laughs> like, wow, you know, that one hour change Real, yes, it wasn't the one hour change, though. It was what did you do in response to that difficulty you experienced during that time transition? And napping is a big part of that. So what we don't want napping to be is a tool or a mechanism or a maneuver for somebody who had a difficult night of sleep to deviate from their typical sleep plan. Now there's some caveats there. So if somebody says to me, look, I always go to bed at 10, I get up at seven. Okay, that's nine hour opportunity for sleep. Sometimes it takes me a long time to fall asleep. And on those nights, the next day, I'm gonna take a big nap. I, I don't think that's a great idea. Your brain has the opportunity to get the sleep it needs. Every now and then it's choosing not to utilize that. So I don't think letting your brain off the hook the next day with a nap is a great idea. Now, if somebody says to me, I go to bed at 10, get up at seven, it always takes me a long time to fall asleep. I, I might have them reevaluate that schedule, you know, 10 to seven, nine hours, maybe eight would be better for you. So where, where that changes is when somebody says, I go to bed at 10, get up at seven, but three nights ago, I was on a flight back from Dallas that got delayed and I was supposed to get in around 8 p.m. I didn't get in until 2 a.m. Got in, went to bed, pretty shaken from a stressful, you know, evening of travel and I had to be at work at 6.30. Okay, so through powers outside of your control, you probably would have, probably would have taken advantage of the sleep that you would have had, but you didn't because you weren't able to because of a flight or a sick child, or a job responsibility, or whatever. I, I think napping is perfectly reasonable there. You, 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 you would have used the time, but you didn't have it. It was taken away from you. A friend of yours from college called and is really upset because she's getting a divorce. And you spent hours on the phone with her that night, talking to the night, comforting her, really helping her make plans, you're really trying to be there for your friend. You hang up the phone and it's late and you've got to get up early in the morning. In fact, you have to get a little bit earlier than normal because of a meeting. Well, sure. I think if you have the opportunity to take a nap to make up for that lost sleep, 
it makes a lot of sense. So we don't want to use napping to get us off the hook for bad decisions our brains make in terms of sleep. If Delta Airlines is making that decision for you, totally different situation. And it's interesting when you think about it that way, I find it to be really liberating for patients, the idea that, look, there was this great study, they followed like 40,000, I think it was Swedish individuals for 13 years. I'll post the study, it was a 2019 study, I'll, I'll post it on Twitter. 40,000 patients followed for 13 years. They, the, some of the, the findings of the study were really interesting. Finding number one is it was a bad health decision to get less than five hours of sleep per night over a long period of time, meaning the people who were chronically short slept tended not to live as long. What was really interesting was when you looked at the individuals who were short slept for parts of the week, but used napping or sleeping in to make up for it in a short period of time, they lived just as long as the people who got the perfect seven hours of sleep every night. So the napping became extremely meaningful to those individuals. So what I often say to people is this, and, and we'll have a, we'll do a debate on sleep debt. I'll, I'll debate myself because I can see both sides of the, did you ever see that Stephen Colbert, it was formidable opponent or something like that, where he would debate himself on the Colbert report. So we'll do something like that. We'll split screen it and Chris will debate William. Um, as to, you know, is sleep debt real? Can you repay a sleep debt, et cetera? And there's huge controversy in sleep. So if you listen to 10 different sleep experts, they'll probably have 10 different opinions. My opinion is in the middle. I think sleep debt is real. I think chronic sleep debt probably cannot be repaid. But I do think an acute sleep debt can be. And so what I often tell people, and it's based upon this study, is that if you looked at it, and you had a night where you only got five hours of sleep because the boss made you do something and she was really needing this report and you sat there and typed it up and it took you a little bit later to do it than you would normally. And so you, you lost out on a couple hours of sleep. What I always tell people is think about your sleep as a credit card. And I'm giving you this sleep nap credit card that basically says, look, you need an average of, let's call it eight hours a night. Remember, that's just the average. Some people need less, some people need more. But for you, eight hours a night, which is essentially 56 hours a week. So what this credit card is going to allow you to do is charge whatever you need to in terms of your sleep. So the individual who only got five hours, they charged two hours. They put two hours of sleep debt on that credit card. The great thing about this credit card that I'm giving you, the Sleep Unplugged credit card, it's a Visa, by the way, it's allowing you to charge up any sleep debt you want, but as long as you pay that debt in seven days, no interest, no finance charges, no hidden fees, you're good. So as soon as you have that five-hour night, you're on the clock. You got the next seven days to pay that debt off. How are we going to pay it off? Well, you could go to bed a little bit early. You could sleep a little bit late on the weekend, or you could take a nap. And if you can end that seven-day period with your 56 hours, this study said you live just as long as these individuals who got a perfect seven hours every night. I don't know where these people exist. And that's part of my reason for not really buying sleep debt, which is 
who on earth gets a perfect amount of sleep every night all their life? I think we have capacity to have difficult nights. We have capacities to miss meals. We have capacity to skip a day exercising and be just fine. Our bodies aren't that fragile. So that napping becomes very important. So thinking about total sleep over a week, I think can be extremely helpful. We don't want to rely on it. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll stay up for, you know, until four o'clock in the morning tonight because I know I've got nothing going on Saturday. So I'll just sleep all day. So I don't think that's a great idea. But when life presents itself as a obstacle for your sleep, I think we can fall back on this and be very comfortable. You have a difficult night tonight. Your thought is, that's oh, okay. I got the next six nights to kind of figure this thing out. And so now we're back to, okay, we're not going to nap to make up for sleep that we had the opportunity to get. So what I often tell people is napping is for efficient sleepers who just need a little bit more rest. So you're getting the sleep that you need. You're making use of the time you have at night, but you need a little pick-me-up for whatever reason, that's fine. Or there's something outside of your control, you do it. Napping we can also look at in terms of, well, what about in our day-to-day -day lives? Can there be a benefit to napping? I think there can. And, and, and we've mentioned Sarah Medic on the show before. She did a really cool study in 2008 where she compared caffeine, naps, and placebo in terms of verbal motor and perceptual memory. And basically in her research study, it was like 60 people, if I remember, maybe less, somewhere around there, that clearly the napping did much more to benefit the individuals in the study than the caffeine did, um, which has been seen in other studies as well, too. And when you look at young people, that presence of a nap can be extremely helpful for young people's cognition and also motor abilities like driving a car. And we know from research that Kids who are sleep deprived driving to school in the morning are very susceptible to make mistakes and be in automobile accidents. So I think that there is absolute benefit in terms of napping as a supplement. I'm going to take a little bit of supplemental magnesium, a little bit of you know supplemental you know whatever you know lavender to help so you know, supplemental uh, you know amino acids. I'm going to try to put a little bit of you know get a little extra tryptophan in my diet through you know, tart cherries and, and, and whatnot, you know, that would be more melatonin, I guess. So you know, we, we supplement things all the time. I think we can look at napping in that way too. And so the question always becomes, well, okay, I believe it. I, I think napping can be great. What, what, what is the way to do it the best? Like, how do I best nap? And I think that napping starts off with a great environment. Napping, sitting up in your bright office at the desk, not a great idea. I think every business should have a place where people could go and take a nap. If I were a boss of a big company, that, that's probably one of the first things I'd build in my office is some place where people could go to rest. You, know, you don't have to sleep, just a dark, quiet, cool, comfortable, novel place where you can take a nap. And we've talked about Ariana Huffington will nap in front of her her employees because she she believes in it. She's not embarrassed by it. She's like, no, no, this isn't a sign of laziness or weakness. This is how you get to the top, which she has. And so if you want to see me nap, believe me, I, I believe in it. If you want to nap, you can nap too. I mean, I think she's very pro-nap. So, and we've built napping facilities in 
professional sports organizations all the time. You know, you, where, where are your athletes going to go take a nap? Well, we don't have something like that. They usually go into the trainer room and just close the door. That's not good enough. So napping starts with a dark, quiet, cool environment. And there was a study that I cannot put my hands on. So if you can, I would love it. I remember there was a study that basically said, if you can be horizontal, that is sleep promoting. And I, I swear to God, I cannot find it. And, and, and the thought was that in our inner ears, like if you're put in a dark room, pitch black, and you're lying flat on your back versus standing straight up, you can tell, you can tell your body position. And when our bodies are lying flat, it's sleep promoting. So we like to nap. We want people napping, lying on their back in the dark. Take your shoes off, get comfortable. The nap, when I nap at work, I like to have novel sensory experiences. I've got a noise machine. So I've got the little uh, Marpak. Uh, it's now a yoga sleep. Traditional dog bowl noise machine that I turn on. A, because I want to drown out office noises when I'm there. B, it's an interesting sound. That, like, again, we, we, we know from episode uh, episode four, I can't make the white noise sound because my, my recording it. Uh, equipment filters it out, but imagine a white noise sound. That's an unusual sound. So I like that when I nap at work because it's drowning out the sounds of the phones and the other things that give me stress. And it's creating a sound that I don't hear every day, which is triggering me. Hey, it's, this is the, the sound I hear when I want to take a nap. I've got this blanket that is sort of a faux fur is not a real fur, but it kind of feels like, I guess, like I don't know, fox fur or something. Not a fur expert here, but it feels like what I would think a blanket would feel like if it were made from a lot of little tails from foxes. We have foxes all over our neighborhood, especially when the rabbits come out. They just kind of trot across the road and you, you don't see them very easily, but their tails look like you know, this blanket. So I'm feeling fox, faux fox tail. I'm hearing the sound of white noise or uh, rain. I've got lavender spray I spray in the room. So I'm smelling this lavender spray. I'm flat on my back. It's dark. I've got tons of sleep masks. It's just a great environment to be in. And to me, the key to napping, and if you're a parent, you know this, is to not put yourself under pressure to sleep. So in our family, we never called it nap time. It was always rest time. And I think that is 100% the way you need to approach your nap. If you're saying, Chris, I fall asleep at every one of my naps, great, that's fine. But if you don't, and I've got lots of people say, well, I don't nap because I can't fall asleep. I can't nap. You know, like it was something you inherited from your grandfather. We come from a long line of non-nappers. Well, that's fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Still doesn't mean you shouldn't take the time to go into that environment, stretch out, and just close your eyes and relax. No expectation of sleep. You've got an alarm set for 20 minutes. We typically think of 15 to 25 minutes to be the perfect amount to nap. If you're just sort of touching yourself up, if you were delayed on your flight, you didn't get in until four o'clock in the morning, you may want to sleep longer. But, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes is perfect. And you tell your office manager, hey, you know, can you grab me uh, in 15 to 20 minutes? I don't want to oversleep because I've got patients coming later on or you set your alarm. And you just close your eyes and relax, meditate, think about whatever you want to think about. If you fall asleep, that's great. But you're setting aside that time to rest. 
And resting is extremely important, not only when we're adults, but when we're kids. So having that little programmed period of time every day to do that, I, I think is invaluable. I, I really think that it is incredibly important. I mean, with all of our baseball teams, I tell players all the time, starting in spring training, your job beyond taking care of your body and eating the right way and sleeping the right way is that I want you to have a period of rest every day starting today. You choose when it's going to be at the end of practice, beginning of your day, wherever it is, you're going to set aside 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes, whatever you can spare, just to relax and close your eyes. It might cut into your video game, video game time a little bit. I'm sorry about that, but you have to do it. Because what we're trying to do is set aside this period of recovery for you so that by the end of the season, you've got more in your tank than the players on the other teams you're competing with. And when you look at the when you look at what we're trying to do is we want you to be at your best at the end of the season. So forget it. If you're not a baseball player, who cares, right? We still want to make sure that we're recovering that energy and that period of sleep every day. So having those quiet, restful, reflective, meditative, napping, sleeping, whatever you want to call it, times, I think are so important. And going back to Sarah Mednick, she wrote this great book called The Power of the Downstate, which is exactly what she's what we're saying here, is that yes, excessive sleep has been associated with some bad things. So if you feel like you're an individual who is excessively napping, and we'll talk about this when we get to that narcolepsy episode that's coming, napping can be a sign of a problem. We see that a lot in adults. We see a lot in kids. You know, he can't make it through school without falling asleep. He comes home, he's quit playing soccer because he's got to come home and take a two-hour nap. So napping should always be something that is somewhat voluntary, somewhat we're adding, it's like extra credit. When you start to feel like the napping is essential sleep, especially when you're getting plenty of it at night, that's where you've got to raise a little red flag. I'm sleeping nine, 10 hours at night, but really cannot make it through my day without an hour or two nap. Now we've crossed the line over into a realm of there is something qualitatively wrong with your sleep and your body is trying to use napping to quantitatively correct it. You're trying to fix the sleep quality problem with more quantity. Works for a little while, more or less, but eventually fails. So keep, I want that to be the last thing that we talk about today. I want you to keep in mind the idea of the nap. Are you somebody who cannot nap? Are you somebody who enjoys a nice nap from time to time? Are you somebody who is absolutely dependent upon the nap despite an adequate amount of sleep at night? These are all very important questions that go back to the idea of, is napping good? It's a difficult question to answer in a short period of time, but I hope we got started with it. So thank you very much again for listening uh, to this podcast. Uh, once again, my socials, DR Chris Winter on TikTok, DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter Instagram. You can also find my books, The Sleep Solution and The Rest of Child, where books are sold. 
We do have a YouTube channel where I post the videos of these podcasts. If you're interested in seeing those uh, as well, uh, please follow, like, subscribe to the podcast. I read every review. I appreciate every review, good or bad. So if you have the time to write a review of this podcast, it, it really does help out uh, some magical, ethereal algorithm out there. Um, thanks again for listening. Uh, this is Sleep Unplugged with Dr. Chris Winter. Sleep well.